Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's a show providing news, commentary, and insights based on individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. The show is brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Uh, visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Lifeinnaples.net is the website. We have a terrific guest for today's show, including Pastor Rick Stevens. He's a co-founder of the Facility Alliance. We'll visit with Michael Cannon. Michael Cannon is the Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Seat Motley is the President and Founder of Less Government. We'll be talking about big tech and private property. And the former Mayor of Naples, Bill Marnett, giving us an insight in what's happening here locally. It is January the 21st, and on this day in 1738, Ethan Allen, future Revolutionary War hero and key founder of the Republic of Vermont, was born in Litchfield, Connecticut. Allen's father, Joseph, intended Allen to attend Yale University, but his death in 1755 precluded that option. Instead, Ethan, the oldest of seven children, took over the family land holdings. Two years later, he made his first visit to the New Hampshire Grants, land that is now within the state of Vermont as part of the Litchfield County Militia during the Seven Years' War. Now, having acquired land in the area, in 1770, Ethan Allen became the Colonel Commandant of the Green Mountain Boys, a militia founded in what is now Bennington, Vermont, to defend the New Hampshire grants. In an intercolonial fracas, both New Englanders like Allen and uh, colonial New Yorkers claimed land in the Green Mountains. Although Allen's village vigilantes took no lives, they were willing to, to use lesser forms of physical intimidation to scare New Yorkers into leaving the area. Allen and his boys proposed political independence for the district between the Connecticut River and Lake Champlain. Plain. Before the American Revolution caused their attention to shift towards the independence from Britain, in 1775, Allen and the Green Mountain Boys captured Fort Ticonderoga from the British in a joint effort with Colonel Benedict Arnold, who had been commissioned by the Massachusetts and Connecticut to stage an attack to prevent the British forces from marching on to Boston. The same force took control of Crown Point, New York, the following day without facing any opposition. The two easy victories garnered for the Patriots much-needed cannon that they could be used to uh, drive the British from Boston. Later in the year, the British captured Allen during this botched Patriot attempt to seize Quebec. In 1777, Vermonters formally declared their independence from Britain and their fellow colonies uh, when they created the Republic of Vermont. That's right, they're separate from the United States. Well, of course, there was no such thing at the time. But nevertheless, after the war concluded, the independent Vermont could not join the new republic as a state because New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut all claimed the territory as their own. In response, frustrated Vermonters, including Allen, went so far as to negotiate with the Canadian governor in order to uh, join them, possibly. Ethan Allen died on his farm along the Winooski River, in Independent Republic of Vermont on February the 12th, 1789. Two years later, Vermont finally managed to join the new republic as the 14th state of the Union. What an interesting story, huh? The Green Mountain Boys. Ethan Allen. Well, uh, California passed Florida in cumulative per capita COVID cases. Now, how did this happen after nine months of lockdowns, school closures, mask mandates, and you could go on? 
Lord has been wide open for months, so you can see all these mandates and limitations on human behavior hasn't done much to quell the virus in California. We've been so fortunate to have our governor making good decisions and allowing us to make our own health decisions. 185 new COVID cases and one additional death in Collier County on Wednesday. Collier's moving seven-day average for her new cases was 151 through Tuesday. It's up about 40% since December the 15th. Wednesday, there were 109 COVID case, uh, cases uh, patients in Collier County Hospital with lots of room. I'm quite frankly, I think the hospitals are disappointed they don't have more business. They've got too many empty beds. And conveniently, the World Health Organization released a report saying that the COVID testing overstates the number of false positives. Really? Are you kidding? Literally one hour after Biden took the oath of office, the World Health Organization admitted that the PCR testing at high amplification rates alters the predictive value of the test and results in a huge number of false positives. Well, I'll be darned. Anybody surprised with that? I'm certainly not. Uh, again, all these numbers, uh, you know, I'm very suspicious about what they're, what they're telling us. Well, President Donald Trump and his, our First Lady uh, Melania Trump left the White House for the last time as the United States 45th Commander-in-Chief Wednesday morning around 8.10 a.m. He spoke briefly to supporters outside the White House, but the audio was not connected. Then President Trump and Melania flew off to Joint Base Andrews. They left for Palm Beach yesterday morning. Both President Trump and First Lady Melania spoke to a crowd of supporters at the Joint Base Andrews. Melania Trump, the most exquisite, elegant, and beloved, and gracious First Lady we've had, was uh, ignored pretty much by the press, but thanked supporters and asked God to bless America. Uh, President Trump uh, promised the crowd of supporters and his millions of uh, supporters I will always fight for you. And then he ended his speech by saying, we'll be back in some form. This was a sad day for America as we lost our loyal pro-American president. The tragedy is compounded, by, in my opinion, by pretty much a rigged election, ushering in a fraudulent presidency. Thousands lined the streets in Palm Beach to uh, welcome President Trump home from uh, the D.C. swamp. After four long years of constant and unprecedented attacks by Democrats, their fake news media is it must feel good to be back in Florida for President Trump and Melania. Uh, he won the 2016 uh, election against all odds. He's attacked from day one, from the first moment, for a series of misdeeds ranging from bribery to treason to rape. None of them really uh, could hold up under scrutiny. Instead, he was attacked from the first moment by dishonest officials of the FBI, the CIA, and other law enforcement agencies. Something about him, I will never know what, antagonized the powers uh, that be in the, in the way that no other president did except perhaps a Richard Nixon. By in so doing, as a target, he showed anyone who cared to have eyes that there was indeed a deep state that operated far beyond the supervision of the voters or the officials they elect. Donald Trump is an amazing man. I've never witnessed the amount of energy and focus that he demonstrated over four years. It's no mystery, in my opinion, why he's a billionaire. He was attacked and maligned by people who have much less to offer in terms of his, they don't have an ounce of his strength and character. It's a sad commentary for a nation, though. pretty disappointed. For whatever reason, they just hated him. They despised him. If you didn't like him, if you didn't love him, well, the Trump derangement set in, syndrome set in, and uh, people hated him. It's, it was really sad. 
I watched yesterday's inauguration ceremony with a with the sound off. I'll put it on for a little while, but I just I couldn't listen. But I watched it. And watching Joe Biden speak, he had a scowl on his face of an angry old man. I read his speech afterwards, and it filled with the expected platitudes. He was sworn in as the 46th president of the United States by Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor, who mispronounced, by the way, Kamala Harris's name during the vice presidential oath of office. And, of course, that was a racist to mispronounce her name earlier in the year, if you recall. As Joe Biden began his presidency, we wish him well for the sake of the country. He's been handed off an economy that is ready to soar in 2021 thanks to the vaccine. Goldman Sachs and other economists are predicting a 6 to 8% growth in 2021. In other words, he's got the stage set and it's all going for him. Alas, little we've seen so far inspires much confidence that this will be a centrist administration like, uh, for example, Bill Clinton. In just the past two weeks, we've seen Democrats hold a sham snap impeachment of Donald Trump in the House and call to cancel the Keystone Pipeline, already getting pushed back from Canada, a pledge to re-enter the worst treaty of all time, the Paris Climate Accord, which is based on junk science, and oh, don't forget about the absurd $1.9 trillion COVID debt bomb bill that has little to do with the public health and a lot to do with payoffs to Democrat interest groups like teachers' unions, green groups, bailouts for bankrupt blue states, and job-killing $15-an-hour minimum wage, which the SEIU union has been demanding for quite a while. And of course, that's going to kill about 4 million jobs. Next to come is $2 trillion tax hike, a rollback of Trump's energy independence initiatives, the Medicare public option, and a big push for D.C. and Puerto Rico's statehood. As Biden lurches the nation to the left, he and the media are making a big call for unity. Well, let that be a call for unity or surrender. Let's face it, Joe Biden is a senior suffering from dementia. He hid in the basement instead of running for campaign and running for office as the President of the United States. Of course, he was never that bright. He was always a blowhard and, quite frankly, a plagiarist, if you recall. Now his capacity is diminished. How can this guy ever be the leader of the free world? And how can he ever manage to receive 81 million votes? I think we all know the answer to that question. Let's pray that he makes good decisions. Because prayer is just about all we've got. Well, the number of people viewing Trump's final speech to the president far overshadowed Joe Biden's inaugural address and online viewers among some of the established media outlets like ABC and CBS. Apples to Apples comparison of YouTube videos of Trump's remarks at Joint Base Aaron Andrews on Wednesday uh, versus Biden shows the difference. As of the writing of yesterday, ABC's coverage of the 45th president's speech garnered over 265,000 views, while for Biden, just over 73,000 clicked in. Yeah, 81 million votes, right. Let's, uh, looks like Joe is off to a rocky start on the international scene in what could be his first move as president. He changed the Twitter title from the U.S. Ambassador to Israel to the U.S. Ambassador to Israel, the West Bank, and Gaza, giving credibility to Hamas-controlled Gaza Strip and Palestinian Authority. Florida Senator Rick Scott tweeted his disgust over the change, stating there is no country of West Bank or Gaza or territories that Israel has been willing decades to negotiate sovereignty over that has been met with hostility and terrorism. Senator Scott adds that Biden's move shows the Democrats' hostility to Israel. Well, there was a quick update. The Biden administration has now changed the Twitter handle back to the United States Senator uh, Ambassador to Israel. 
Oops. <laughs> See, some of the stuff that he wants to do, it's it's not going to stand up to scrutiny. People are going to watch it, and they're going to go uh, address it and con address their concerns. I don't think it's an easy ride for uh, Joe Biden going forward. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Lifeinnaples.net is the website. Coming up, Pastor Rick Stevens. He's the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. That and more right here in the Bob on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Uh, hearing the St. Matthew's House commercial reminds me of uh, Lula B's Diner, a great place to have breakfast or lunch. They're great supporters of St. Matthew's House. And uh, I hope you'll patronize Lula B's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Michael Canna. He's, Cannon. He's the Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Right now we have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Pastor Rick Stevens. He's a co-founder of a terrific, very, very influential organization. It's called the Florida Citizens Alliance. Pastor Rick, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Pastor Rick. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, the Florida Citizens Alliance is people that care about kids and want to help them have the best education. We want to help every child reach their potential. And we're a grassroots organization, mostly volunteers, 
We try to help bring solutions to the table that will benefit all children because we think all children need the opportunity to learn and grow and thrive. And that's what we want to help them do. Yeah, and you know, I'm a founding member of the organization. Started about eight years ago, Florida Citizens Alliance. And uh, again, you've gained so much traction and influence in Tallahassee for the right reasons. And so I'm, I'm so pleased to be associated with the Florida Citizens Alliance. The, the website is goflca.com, goflca.com. So, Pastor Rick, we're coming up on the legislative session. Uh, any plans uh, that you've got for uh, future legislation? Oh, we've always got things we're working on, Bob. There's never any doubt about that. Yep. And one of the things we're really pleased with is that we have continued to battle this pornographic content that's in our public schools. And coming up on the legislative session, we had a senator, newly elected senator, Anna Maria, Anna Maria Rodriguez. She jumped up almost immediately and was excited to sponsor this bill. It's been filed in the Senate, so we're, we're on our way. Just yesterday, we had a member of the House say he was eager to take this on. I don't think it's been filed yet there yet, or I could tell you who that was, but when it's filed, we'll be able to announce the sponsor. And it's a, it's a huge step. I mean, this people don't begin to grasp what's going on here, but if you or I or, or any of our listeners this morning took this content onto a school campus and started passing it out, we would be arrested on a felony charge. It's just that bad, yeah. and rightfully so. You know, and we're and it, trying to get the schools to step up and police that and get it out of our children's hands. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, when I say to people, uh, uh, we talk about that kind of content in public schools, you get this look of surprise and dismay. No, you can't be telling the truth. That can't be happening. <laughs> well, it is happening. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> well, people don't, don't want to believe that, and, and I didn't want to believe it. Nobody wants to believe it. We trust our schools with our children. Yeah. The, the things most most precious to us, our parents send their kids off to school and they tell them to listen to the teacher and to behave themselves. And we expect the school to treat those children as precious gifts from God that they are to us. And then when they're exposed to this kind of stuff, we are horrified that why have they betrayed our trust? And so we're trying to get that straightened out. We think a lot of people care about the kids. A lot of people in the schools do. But the the way they've become entrenched and the difficulty of getting action taken has just been amazing. But we're on our way, and we're not backing down. We're going yeah, well, to keep our kids protected from harmful materials. Yeah. Absolutely, we will. Well, appreciate that support. And I know you've got other things in mind as well. Well, we do, and we're working on some things. One of the things we noticed, and, and we're pretty sure this is going to get included somewhere, but our Florida scholarships provide a lot of opportunities to a lot of kids. But we noticed in this era of increasing online education that children can't use the Florida scholarships for online access to education. Hmm. They can't go to school online using the Florida scholarship, so we want to include that option for them. We think that's an easy thing. If our public school students have that option, we think our scholarship students ought to have that same option, so we're working on that. But the other really exciting thing that doesn't immediately sound like it's education-related, but it's enormously significant... There was a bill filed last session, and it's been filed in both chambers, both the House and the Senate this session, called Parental Rights. It would essentially create in law a parent's bill of rights, and it is enormously comprehensive. I learned over the weekend it started out as, as like three lines or, or just a few words, and it's grown to this 11-page bill, which is a comprehensive collection of and statement of the rights of a parent to raise and care for and educate their children. You read through it and you think these are obvious things, 
but we hear from parents all the time that, that, that systems in our government, including the schools, push them away instead of draw them in. Yeah. And this bill requires the schools to include the parents and involve them in the child's education and a lot of other education-related things. It's just it's just terrific. Yeah. Oh, congratulations to you. I mean, I think it's so important because some of these stuff it does appear obvious, but uh, it's not imp- just important for parents to know their rights. It's important for the school system to know the parental rights, and they, they know the boundaries where they, that they can't cross. Exactly right. And, and people will be glad to know that this legislation is sponsored in the Florida Senate by a Southwest Florida Senator Ray Rodriguez. Great. So we're really pleased that he stepped up. We didn't know he was going to do that, and all of a sudden, there it was. And uh, he, along with Aaron Graw, who started this whole movement in the House, have sponsored the bills, and, and we, have, we have high hopes and, and, and pretty good confidence. I mean, you never know till it's done with the legislature. We all know that. But we have really good confidence that these bills should pass and we think once passed, the governor will sign them. Well, this is a, such significant. These are significant developments, especially in light of the uh, Biden administration now coming in. We know that they support uh, teacher unions. We know that they uh, do not support school choice. So having this kind of a shield or a buffer between the federal government and, and what's happening in our state of Florida is just so, so significant. Really appreciate the work you're doing. And by the way, you've got a big event coming up on February the 10th. We do. It's our annual fundraising event. We are having it at the Naples Grand Beach Resort, and we want to encourage people to join us for that, to buy a ticket today on our website, goflca.com, and, and join us to be a part of that event. We have Alveda King involved. We have Senator Jim DeMint. We have General Jerry Boykin. They'll all be sharing important messages with the audience. We have some other things that will also be part of that evening. And, and I wish I could say this a little bit more um, forthrightly, but there are some things cooking behind the scenes that could just enormously expand this event. I can't promise that, uh, so I can't announce it. But we've been working on some ways to try to make this an even better event. And so we want to encourage people to come and join us. And I know you're joining us, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Too, We're going to be there. We're excited about the event. But even irrespective of the wonderful program that you put on, which is always informative, interesting, and entertaining, you know, you're, the work that you're doing is so critical. You don't have big payrolls. You, you, most of the money that uh, that people donate goes just to the work and to the legislation that you're creating, the support for kids in public schools. So uh, irrespective of the program, support this event. Go get tickets. You'll be pleased that you did, but you'll also be supporting a terrific organization, the Florida Citizens Alliance. Again, get tickets at GoFLCA.com. Pastor Rick, I look forward to seeing you at the event. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's going to be great. Look forward to seeing you too, Bob. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting visiting with Michael Cannon. Michael is the uh, uh, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Provence restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lynn and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Offshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Here in the Gulf Shore Playhouse commercial reminds me there's a great play going on right now with great professional actors. It's called Love Letters, and you can get tickets now by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting the founder and president of Less Government, Seton Motley. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon. Michael is the director of health studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Happy to be back, Bob. Oh, thank you, Michael. Uh, tell us, uh, give us a few words about the Cato Institute and what it's all about. The Cato Institute is a think tank in Washington, D.C. We are a libertarian think tank, which means we're neither Republican nor Democrat, left nor right. We are uh, advocate individual liberty in all areas, apply the same standards to, uh, to the presidents of both parties. We criticize them when they uh, are infringing on people's liberties and uh, applaud their efforts when they're trying to protect liberty. Uh, whenever that happens. <laughs> so, so Michael, uh, with this new presidency now and the inauguration of Joe Biden, uh, this has implications for health care in the United States. And, uh, you know, I happen to believe that perhaps the alternatives to Obamacare might be in peril. What are your thoughts? So there's a lot of chatter among supporters of the president that they are going to limit options that we call a uh, health insurance option that we call short-term health insurance. These are plans that are completely exempt from Obamacare's regulations that, that costly hidden taxes, really. 
that Congress imposes on Obamacare plans. And as a result, they, co- they can cost 60% less than an Obamacare plan and typically uh, cover it at the consumer's option all the same benefits as Obamacare. It's sometimes harder to find maternity coverage, uh, but a lot of that's just because a lot of people don't want maternity coverage, and so short-term issuers tend not to, to cover it. And uh, and these plans can make health insure health access to health care secure indefinitely. The exemption that exists for them allows people to uh, purchase a one-year plan that they can renew for two years, and if the insurance company wants, the insurance company can sell what we call a renewal guarantee that'll allow you to extend that uh, plan beyond three years without any new underwriting. So if you get an expensive condition, like uh, expensive diagnosis like cancer, you can keep your insurance and keep paying healthy person premiums. Now, what the, the Biden administration uh, want, may want to do, we don't we're not sure. All we hear is chatter from uh, people who want to influence them. But what they might want to do is what the Obama administration did when Joe Biden was in it, which is limit these plans to three months. The dangerous thing about that is if you limit these plans to three months, that means that at the end of three months, the insurance company, or really the government, cancels your plan, and you can purchase a new plan, but you have to go through underwriting again. Yeah. If you have to go through underwriting again, that means if you've got that cancer diagnosis, you're not going to have coverage anymore. So, uh, Michael, let me let me just understand. You can't I, cover that, and you're not going to be eligible for Obamacare until January. Yeah. So, so let me let me understand this, Michael. Twelve months with no coverage. Yeah. So what you're saying, Michael, is that uh, basically the plan is to limit choices and options for consumers when it comes to their health insurance. Uh, uh, that's the plan, right, uh, under the Obama administration, or at least that's uh, reputed to be the plan by the chatter you're hearing. That's right, and th- it would be a tragedy if they did this, because, first of all, it would throw a lot of sick people out of their health insurance and leave yeah. them with no coverage. As you say, it would also reduce choice, but the Obama administration ran into a lot of criticism when it threw people out of their health plan in 2013, and the Biden administration is going to come in for similar criticism for no good reason. Not only would it be harmful to consumers, but they want the stated purpose for doing this is to force people into the Obamacare exchanges and, and try to improve the exchanges by boosting enrollment that way. But the states that 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 limit these health insurance, these short-term plans already, are the states where Obamacare premiums are rising the most. Yeah. So. Limiting these plans is not going to help the Obamacare exchanges. The Biden administration would be doing this for no good economic or political reason. Well, the one one political reason might be moving closer to a one payer single payer system, which I think is the ultimate goal. But irrespective, I mean, it's just tragic to think that somehow we had to actually uh, cobble together a way to ha- for people to have choices in insurance and to bypass the Obamacare mandate. And they did that under the uh, uh, Trump administration. And now the Ob- uh, Biden administration wants to take that away at the benefit of no one except perhaps insurance companies. And the, some of the people who are arguing loudest for eliminating or, or, or shortening these short-term plans are the insurance companies who sell Obamacare plans. Right. So 
here we've got this phenomenon of insurance companies who are trying to throw people out of their health plans, their short-term plans, to pad their bottom, their bottom lines, uh, and, and yet uh, stripping coverage from sick people and exposing them to medical underwriting, and yet uh, Democrats have told us that they're against that sort of thing, in this case, they're supporting the insurance companies who are trying to. Yeah. Do so, that. so Michael, tell me. I mean, uh, this. Tell me, this cannot be done with an executive order. It requires legislation. It requires somehow, some way for the House and Senate to get involved in this process. Unfortunately, the Biden administration will be able, uh, or may be able, to change the rules on short-term plans, limit them to three months or something similar, without. Congress getting involved, huh. and that is and and now they're, they they should not do that because if they do that they will be going against congressional intent. Congress has never tried to expose more people to medical underwriting the mm-hmm. way that such a change would. However, uh, there the executive branch does have some discretion in this area, and courts typically defer to the defer to the executive branch. So this health insurance option is in real peril right now. That's uh, so unfortunate. Of course, if you're against that, I guess you'd be characterized as a domestic terrorist. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see how this all plays out. Hey, look, before I let you go, Michael, you made a comment on last week's show, and I found it so interesting. I've been thinking about it all week. You said, I believe, and maybe I misunderstood, that uh, there are options, for example, to not get ins- to use insurance. There are some providers, for example, surgeons, who are doing surgery at a fraction of the price of which, what the insurance companies pay. Could you elaborate? Is that true? And if so, how, how can that be? So insurance companies are not very good price negotiators, as it turns out. Mm-hmm. Bargaining power uh, is, isn't all that it's cracked up to be. And as a result, when surgeons accept, uh, accept cash or sort of cash-only practice and you have uh, a competitive cash market for certain surgeries, the prices are a lot lower than what the insurance companies end up paying. Defined a and lot lower. What is a lot lower? Well, they could be uh, half uh, or even less than what the insurance companies, uh, uh, what, what the hospitals charge or what the insurance companies pay. Mm. If you look at you know, Gunderson Health System in, uh, in Wisconsin, they charge... $50,000 for a knee replacement. But the surgery center of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Surgery Center, uh, they charge just $15,000 for a total knee replacement. That, you know, That's I had both well of my... Half of the hospital charges. Now, the insurance company may not uh, pay $50,000, but oftentimes in California, there are lots of examples of, of insurance companies paying $60,000. Yeah, yeah. But they couldn't get, and they couldn't get those prices down because the hospitals had some monopoly power, they couldn't get those prices down until they made it like more of a cash market by changing the insurance plans so that the consumers had an incentive to shop around. And once they did that, then those consumers got the cash prices down dramatically. See, Michael, by, in, my, uh, in, in my opinion, what, what this all comes down to is we have government involvement. You know, We're the government. We're here to help you. The result is, uh, quite frankly, the markets have been so skewed, screwed up, that costs have just gone, spiraled out of control. And uh, right now, going through Obamacare, people end up with choices that they prick, don't particularly want. 
I wish we had more time to talk about this today. We'll pick up this topic again next week. Again, Michael Cannon, he is a health director of health studies at the Cato Institute, cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Many thanks, Bob. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. I'm back, and I think I figured out what the problem was with the commercial break, but irrespective, uh, we have with us Seton Motley. Seton is the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. The worst technical glitch of all, the one that cuts into the commercials. <laughs> that's right. Don't get paid today. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's the most brutal one of all. Yeah, so Seton, Seton, tell us about Less Government. The, the commercial cut is the deepest. <laughs> yeah. um, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and it's already gotten worse on day one. Absolutely. It certainly has. My goodness, the executive orders are just, well, let's talk about big tech and big tech data versus private property. That's the column you wrote in Red State this uh, this past few days. Uh, yeah. It, the, the, when the Internet was created by mostly leftist people, um, it was supposed to be, they, they wanted it to be this open, they, they say, when they say open internet, they don't mean, they, they don't just mean, you know, uh, no blocking of content and all that, because of course they don't mean that, because look at what Big Tech is doing with certain content, conservative content. What they, what they figured out at the outset was the coin of the internet realm was going to be data, digital uh-huh. data. Yeah. And we didn't know that. Right. You know, the average user didn't know that. They just looked at Google and said, wow, I can, I can search for free, and I can send mail, emails for free, and I can use documents for free, and everything's free. It's great. Well, as we know now, if something on the Internet is free, you're the product. Yeah. And so their, their entire, Big Tech's entire business model is built on taking stuff that doesn't belong to them for free. Yeah. So, of course, that butts heads with intellectual property protection. Because, you know, that those are ideas. That, 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 that is non-physical stuff. Just like the data is non-physical stuff that they're taking. Intellectual property is non-physical stuff that they want to take. And institutionally, the you know... This was supposed to be the end of intellectual property. That's one of the things they said about the creation of the Internet was, you know, they had this stupid phrase, information wants to be free. Mm-hmm. No, information is an inanimate object. You want the information to be free. And so this is where, you, you know, and, and of course the digital, the, the, the increase of everything being digital made it exponentially easier for, for people to steal things. Right. Um, because, of course, if you stole someone's car, you got their car, and you got the money that in time they've spent, you know, earning the, you know, earning the car. If you steal the code for a program, it's instantaneously, you know, scalable to, to trillions of copies. And, you know, this is why, this is another reason why intellectual property should be illegal. It's the same reason counterfeiting money is illegal. Right. Because you're devaluing the, 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 the you're devaluing every copy of the dollar. You're, de- cop, you're devaluing every copy of whatever it is you're 
illegally replicating uh, that, that, that someone's that is someone's intellectual property. But Seton, so, taking intellectual property is illegal. It is theft. Unfortunately, most people in our culture just don't, or in the in the globe, don't don't act that way. And I, and I, it, there's a there's a component of human nature that I don't, I don't entirely understand, but I understand it's part of human nature. The same person that would never have walked into a Tower Records and stolen a CD of some artist's music has less of a compunction of digitally downloading that same exact album without paying for it. For right. some reason, because it's not physical, they seem to think it's less of a theft. Right. And, of course, it's exactly the same amount of a theft. And, of course... By making it easy again, by making it easier, technologically, it's much worse because you know once you get a copy of the CD and you start replicating it, you can replicate it nine million times, right, nine trillion right. times. Right. So it's uh, it's unbelievable, Seton, because uh, what another observation about this too is that a lot of stuff that you used to pay for is free uh, because people just can't charge for it anymore. Well, and that's because that's because of this. Right. It's because of the, this brave new world where uh, the, 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 the techno left has created that that shifted how people, you know, how how things are delivered. And of course, we've been trained to think that if it's on the internet, it's free. Google search is free. Google email is free. Google documents is free. Um, you know, Facebook is free. Uh, Twitter is free. Right. And so it's, you know, if it's on the Internet, it's supposed to be free. And that's just the training people have received. And that, of course, undermines the, the, the concept of intellectual property, which, again, was one of the points of creating the Internet <laughs> when the left created it. Yeah, unbelievable. See, so what's the solution? Well, you just got to educate people. Unfortunately, I mean, you got you know, I, I, I'm, I still listen to DC radio because of the internet, and th th there's ads running. I, I, I can't remember who runs the ads. Where they say, you know, if you don't pay for the download of your favorite artist, you're not, you're stealing from that favorite from your favorite artist. Yeah, uh, they're running ads, and you got You got to do that. You got to show them that you know there's no such thing as a free launch. Um, you know, you can't. Uh, it, it costs money to produce these things, uh, whether or not you're getting them physically. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is uh, right now in Florida, we don't pay sales tax over the Internet uh, for purchases in, in Florida for things if we were to buy them in, in a, a store, an outlet, in a mall, right. we'd pay the tax. Now, the irony is we owe the tax, but, uh, but right now the state of Florida has just turned its back on it, hasn't uh, done anything about it. There was, a, there was a Supreme Court decision, the Wayfair decision, and it was the wrong decision, uh, in my estimation. They said that states can collect sales tax on companies that have no physical presence in their state. Interesting. And that, that, that's the sales tax on, on purchases. So if I'm in Florida with no sales tax and I purchase something, you know, that the, 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 the Internet uh, overlords can claim is in Idaho and there's an Idaho sales tax, I'm supposed to pay the Idaho sales tax. I don't agree with that mm -hmm. because now you're you're licensing government officials to tax people that can't do anything about it. 
It's why Florida charges confiscatory tax rates on rental cars. Because, hey, they don't live here. They live in New Jersey. They come down and rent a car. Let's poke them. All right. Um, you don't want to set the precedent of governments being able to tax people that can't vote and do anything about it. So ironic. And that's what's happening now. You see it in California and New York. They're trying to tax people for 10 years after they move out of the state. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. They moved out of the state. You can't tax them. Yeah, well, <laughs> and Minnesota's trying to say, well, look, if, you have a, if you're a snowbird uh, and you uh, claim that, you have, that you're have uh, that going to be a citizen of a different state, you still have to pay taxes up here for the period of time you're here. So uh, New York City does that. Uh, New York, I, think, I don't know if the state does or just New York City. It, which is, you know, the NBA players owe prorated sales tax for the two days they're in New York City to play the Knicks. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, again, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. You can visit Less Government on uh, lessgovernment.org as well as on Facebook. Seton, I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Good luck with the ad. Yeah, so. <laughs> thank you so much. I got a feeling this just doesn't work. I'm going to have to turn the computer off after the show somehow. Let me give this a try see if the commercial works. We're going to have a Bill Barnett on the on the show next. So let me give you a little bit of silence. The commercial break isn't working. My cursor isn't working. Let me. St- well, I'm back and uh, here with uh, the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, is with us. Uh, Mr. Mayor, thank you so much for joining us. Well, you're welcome, Bob. Um, you're you're a little faint this morning, unless it's me, because I'm in the car. But. Uh, when I just talked to you a minute ago, you were nice and loud and clear, so I don't know what happened. How's that? Can you can you hear me now? Sure. Okay, well, good. So, uh, where are you off to? I'm off to the doctor um, because I, I have to get a uh, an epidural. No, I'm not pregnant, in case you wondered. Yeah. I have to get an epidural in my neck today because I have what's called spinal stenosis from an accident I had many years ago I mean many many years ago and uh, and so I get a shot and uh, it um, it really really works for me so once every months I, I go and uh, it's not fun but you know you got to do it well I certainly, that's where I'm off to I certainly understand your pain I've got uh, back surgery scheduled for the middle of, of uh, February so uh, I understand exactly what you're talking about by the way uh, you referred me to a surgeon who I'm going to use, a, a Dr. Cologne. I'm so pleased that uh, you had great results. I'm looking forward to the same thing. Bill, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, okay. Um, you, I missed what you. What uh, okay. Well, listen, hey, listen. Uh, any good scoop in the city? Anything? Any comments or thoughts? Uh, oh yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. There was an anonymous, and you know I don't like anonymous letters, but there was an anonymous letter that came into the city about the mayor um and uh pretty much about everything that she hasn't done while she's in as she's been in office it was it was really it was really right to the point i don't know who wrote it i didn't um but um i know that it probably caused her a lot of angst when she read it because of some of the things that were said that she doesn't do with the long meetings and all all the other stuff but they had a meeting yesterday, Bob. I'll tell you, even though it was the inauguration and everything, I just couldn't help couldn't help watching the um, the city council meeting. And um, I mean, I, I just don't understand how they get anything done 
because they like to talk so much. Yeah. Well, again, get back to the rules of order. I mean, Robert's rules of order. If you can have a meeting, the purpose of a meeting is to make decisions, not just to talk about stuff. So. Uh, well, that that's true. That's true. But I I just I just don't get it. Um, but other than that, I mean, um, you know, everything. We sure have a lot of people here. Um, uh, there, there's no doubt about it. I mean, the restaurants are full, and uh, I'm uh, and and the vaccines are supposedly rolling out. Um, and um, I got yeah. We we were fortunate enough to get our first shot. So um, the next one is in February, and I'll feel a lot better about it. I'll tell you that. Yeah. So how how are the repercussions or any kind of after? <laughs> no. Nope. Other than other than the uh, other than the fact that my uh, that my arm was sore, um, th- that was it. Well, that's I mean, a pretty good no, outcome. No repercussions um, whatsoever. Okay, back to the mayor's this letter, this anonymous letter. What are some of the things that you saw or? Uh, well, th- they were um, they were the fact that this, this this person said, well, she doesn't answer her own phone calls. Um, she um, she can't write, which we know she can't answer an email because she can't spell. Um, <laughs> that they run le- meetings. She's mean to her staff. Uh, staff morale has never been lower. Um, I mean, it was um, it was uh, uh, really laid out there, um, and. Um, uh, it's unfortunate that it's anonymous that nobody would put a signature on it, but I have a funny feeling it was a staff member that did that. Hmm. Um, I just get that, get that feeling because um, uh, it, it just has the sense of someone that knows exactly what's been going on. And um, so yesterday they, they went on, I don't know, I, I had to be another 10 or 11 hours. Um, and um, it's just for people... People that watch, um, you know, that watch that. Yeah. Um, it, it's got to be. It's it's really, really, really got to be difficult. Um, because they they got to wonder, you know, what what is going on here, um, and eventually you would figure that after a year, um, you would uh, you would you would you would catch on. You know what I mean? I do. Now, uh, the mayor, uh, you mentioned one year. I think the term is three years, if I'm not mistaken. It's four. Four years? Wow. So, yeah. uh, anybody in, in the wings that you think might be our next mayor? No. I, you know, I, I, was, I was thinking, I'm hoping that it's Gary Price. Okay? I mean, um, Gary would be a... Uh, a, a very very good mayor. He he knows um, he knows what's going on, and uh, he he pays attention. He's probably about the only the only saving grace that they that they have there. Huh. And so um, I think he I think he would do a really good job. All right. Well, you know, I think Gary'd be a great mayor. I'm not sure that he really has the the political will to to do that, but he certainly is a bright guy, and he always gets attention. He always uh, is a, a voice that people listen to. So uh, he would he I think right. he'd do a good job. So I, I want to get your comments. So yesterday the uh, new president is inaugurated. Any thoughts? Um, well, I I didn't to be candid with you, uh, Bob. I didn't I didn't watch a lot. 
No. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I watch a little bit of the pop and circumstance. Look, I'm going to be like, like, um, uh, anybody else or everybody else, uh, not everybody else, but I want him to do well. Um, and, um, I, I'm, uh, I'm going to pull for him and hope that he, that he does a good job. What else can, what else can one say? You know, I, I think, you know it, what I mean? I can't, I, I agree with you hundred percent. He's our president. We're going to support him. We want him to do well. I mean, I have strong feelings about the, his agenda, and I resist his agenda, but I'm going to be praying for his success. I want him to be successful. I want him to make right. good decisions. I hope he'll be open to considering other ideas besides uh, the lurch to the far left, and uh, already he's doing things that are quite concerning. I mean, uh, it, you know, everything from one-payer system in health care to open the gates to, for uh, illegal immigrants to come in to... Uh, you know, right. a lot of things right. that I just don't like, but he is our president. He's going to be there for four years, and we just hope and pray that he makes good decisions. Exactly, exactly, and uh, and 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 that's you know that's that's what you got to do, and um, uh, uh, keep your fingers crossed that he does. He'll he will do some good things, Bob. No question. Uh, I'm 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 confident of that. So. Um, you know, so look, we we will just uh, we'll just watch and see, and uh, uh, I'm sure you and I are going to have lots of conversations about it. Absolutely. Again, our former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Bill, I just genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, well, Bob, and I hope you get your cursor fixed. <laughs> I I turned off my computer already, so I think I've got everything back. But uh, we'll see how it all works. <laughs> Thank you, okay. Bill. <laughs> Thank Speak to you next week. All right, look forward. Thank you, Bill. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Kind of exciting. I don't know why everything froze, but I actually did turn off my computer and restart it. I think things are back to working. So while we missed a couple of commercial breaks, I think I'm in a position where I can uh, close the show. So, uh, by the way, tomorrow uh, we have great guests lined up. Uh, we're going to be visiting with... Uh, Renee Relf, she is the co-founder of uh, Choice Social. We'll visit with uh, William Yateman. William is the uh, 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 research fellow at the Cato Institute. I'm operating from memory now because I can see here on my cue sheet that everything has been cut off. Uh, we'll visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Uh, we'll also uh, visit with, uh, I'm going to tell you, his name is Rareard, and he's the uh, guy who's head of the president uh, the Ferrari Club here in Naples, a big uh, show on 5th. The Cars on 5th is coming up for the benefit of St. Matthew's House. In any event, I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.